This is what I call the square peg round hole problem of psychedelics, mm -hmm. where the round holes are existing infrastructure in psychiatry and mental health. Yeah. And it's made to throw like pills through. <laughs> right? Like that's what we have. Like, but psychedelics, you know, they're not just yeah. the pill. They're yeah. like the additional pieces around they're it. They're mandala the shapes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a very complex shape. And you're just like, well, how do I get this thing through? And what we've seen happen is that you know, people start cutting corners. Yeah. They're like, well, can yeah. we do this with less therapy? Can we do this at home? And, the, and maybe that works in some models, but we've seen what happens with it. There's a lot of interesting research around, can we build the like round peg of psychedelics, one that is not psychoactive, is short, that doesn't need therapy, jury's still out, if that will work. Ghoul's, I think, research is very helpful in saying, I don't know, actually. Yeah. Like, we right. may be going in the wrong direction right, right. with these shorter acting compounds, less psychoactive, less yeah. therapy, actually. But who knows? Like, we, I, I'm a scientist. I would love to see some of that develop. I, I personally am not going to bet on that, but, yeah. like, but let's see. Let's see if it'll work. So basically, I think that we actually have the opportunity to do this at a very high quality of care. Mm -hmm. And the amazing thing is that the infrastructure exists and insurance is covering these states. They're covering this intensive psychotherapy. So people are like, who's going to pay for it? I'm like, it's already built. It's already being paid for. It's just in the least friendly place yeah. right now. Yeah. Welcome to The Trip Report, a podcast from Beckley Waves, a psychedelic venture studio. I'm Zach Hagney. Like many, I believe we're in the midst of a watershed moment with the re-emergence of psychedelics into the mainstream culture, but the future is far from certain. My goal with the Trip Report is to help listeners develop a deep understanding of the dynamics, complexities, and broader implications of this new paradigm. In these conversations, I dive deep into the business, science, policy, and culture of psychedelics with a wide range of guests, including scientists, entrepreneurs, investors, clinicians, and others. Check out thetripreport.com to sign up for our newsletter. And if you want to learn more about Beckley Waves, visit beckleywaves.com. Today I'm speaking with Jishan Chowdhury, founder of Journey Collab, a psychedelic startup developing synthetic form of mescaline and an innovative care model for alcohol use disorder. I met up with Jishan at the recent MAP Psychedelic Science Conference in Denver for a conversation about the emerging field, his company, and how he sees the future unfolding. Journey Collab is taking a contrarian approach to the psychedelic drug development process. While many companies are seeking to engineer shorter trips or non-hallucinogenic compounds, Journey is developing a synthetic form of mescaline, one of the longer-acting psychedelic compounds, with trips lasting 12 to 14 hours. While the common approach is to identify how to limit or reduce the amount of psychotherapy or psychological support to increase efficiencies, Journey is working with rehab centers to incorporate psychological and community support into their clinical trials. And like my conversations with Talia Eisenberg and Manish Agrawal, central theme is the infrastructure for psychedelic care delivery. On the one hand, they are taking mescaline through the drug approval process. On the other, they have formed a unique partnership with All Points North, a treatment and rehab center in Colorado. The Journey Collab All Points North Center of Excellence will conduct research on the potential of psychedelic-assisted therapies for alcohol use disorder. As we discussed, this contrarian approach has had its fair share of challenges. However, Journey has the unique distinction to have Sam Altman, the former president of Y Combinator and founder and CEO of OpenAI, as an early-stage investor and advisor. In this conversation, we discuss how Sam told Jishan that he should start a psychedelic company back in 2018, experimenting with different approaches to company formation, 
What happens when we take a very powerful psychoactive compound and apply traditional capitalist structures? The challenge of delivering psychedelic care safely, effectively, and at scale, and the stigma of using medication, not just psychedelics, in alcohol rehabilitation programs. And now I bring you my conversation with Jishan Chowdhury. I remember we first connected in the spring of 2020 mm-hmm. and you were surveying the landscape and we, we got on a call and I just remember having a sense of optimism around this space and the project and being at MAPS 2023 has is renewing, mm-hmm. I think, a sense of optimism for me, maybe. Certainly has felt like a psychedelic winter for a while yeah. now and the conference does feel like some of the shoots of spring coming forth yeah. but it's 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 still cold up there <laughs> it's still cold out there yeah um, i mean compared to when we talked in 2020 like that was just that, i think a, an aberration in time right. you know, not only just because of the pandemic yeah. but like in terms of the macroeconomic climate yeah. what was happening in terms of a cultural shift with so many people getting into psychedelics yeah. like you know and there's so many people who've been doing this for decades you right, know like you right. know obviously the people at Becky but yeah it just seemed like there was all these things coming together yeah. and there was this exuberance around yeah, it yeah. and that I think has sobered in many ways yeah, yeah. no pun intended but in a good way in, yeah, in some ways and sure. in some ways that are very challenging yeah before we kind of get into the story of Journey Collab mm-hmm. and the larger field what's your background how do you describe your professional intellectual creative journey <laughs> yeah. journey, whatever you want to call it but what's what's your story I'm an MD, PhD by training, uh, did medical school in my hometown in Canada. I was very fortunate to get a Rhodes Scholarship. And then I went to Oxford to do a master's and PhD in what ended up being health informatics, oh, wow. actually. And then I came back to finish medical school. And then I always say this, much to the chagrin of my immigrant parents, I dropped out of residency to do the Y Combinator program in San oh, wow. Francisco, where I'm based now. That was almost over a decade ago. Uh-huh. And my, my first company was a very simple application. It was how doctors could use their phones to hand off in the hospital. Because back then we were doing everything on paper. You yeah. lose your sheet of paper, your list yeah. at the time, and you would be screwed. <laughs> you just Even though we were using medical electronic medical records, a lot was still happening on paper. I ran that for three years and then sold that in 2017. Mm-hmm. And then came to psychedelics like many people through my own mental health journey. Like I feel like you know, my, my story is an unusual one, but, uh, you know, it's a fairly successful one on the outside, but on the inside, it always just felt like I was drowning in my mental health mm-hmm. in a way I really couldn't fully understand. And I, both as a physician and a scientist, tried the best therapies as I could find them. So, and I think we give short shrift to what's available. Yeah. I mean, antidepressants were actually very helpful for me for yeah. a period of my life. Yeah. Like, well, Butrin got me through the last few years of medical school. Mm-hmm. I tried all sorts of therapists and coaches and sell health books and the way i like to describe that is like it was like someone threw me a life preserver and i could keep my head above water i never got out of that sinking feeling Mm -hmm. and the surprising but maybe not so surprising thing was it was after i sold my first company and i achieved the safety security status that i had been looking for my whole life that's where i got to this crisis point Mm -hmm. and i don't like spending a lot of time here because it was a very challenging part of my life but i i basically wanted to let go yeah i wanted to drown and this is all to say I came to psychedelics because I was desperate. Yeah. I had tried everything. Nothing was working. I was very fortunate that because of the circles I live in San Francisco, I was able to meet a safe psychedelic therapist. Mm-hmm. So an LMFT 
someone who'd done additional training in psychedelic medicine. Yeah. And back then, I didn't know this was so important, but they actually had spent significant time working with and studying with indigenous lineages and yeah. more traditional lineages. So I had like a, a solid training to work yeah. with. And yeah. the way I like to describe my first psychedelic therapeutic experience, it was like in that visionary psychedelic state of consciousness, it was like the muddy waters I'd been drowning in my whole life. For the first time, they cleared up mm, and mm. I could see underneath the surface mm -hmm. what was driving my mental health. And, mm -hmm. You know, there's a, there's a lot of things there, but like it's a family history of a, uh, my family going through a civil war in Bangladesh, coming to a new country. It was my experience of being a very, um, I was a very nerdy kid, as you could probably tell from my story, but it was also because I was a very bullied kid mm -hmm. and performance and achievement in school was my way out. Yeah. And I would like to think that I would have found other ways to have those insights, but psychedelics yeah. were a very safe and I don't say predictable, but like it was a safe way to be able to re have that insight for myself. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't like, you know, I had the psychedelic therapeutic experience and, and those things were gone. Yeah. It was more like, oh, I actually know what I need to work on now. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was through that, yeah. I was able to then start doing more therapy that became much more effective and yeah. it was targeted. Also, I love the way Gold Olin talks about it. Yeah. It was in my critical period was yeah. open and yeah. I was able to change. And I went from drowning in my mental health to barely keeping my head above water mm -hmm. to the first time thriving. And then, like many people, I asked the question, why are these not more available? I think that's a very common yeah. experience. And then I didn't rush into having a career here. I was actually very hesitant yeah. to do so. Well, I remember that first conversation, you were your co-founder. I think you said you were, you were talking to like 250 people mm -hmm. over the course of, I don't know, six months or a year or something yeah. like that to level set and sort of understand the lay of the land. I thought that was interesting because I was talking to a lot of entrepreneurs at that time and nobody else was taking that approach of seeing how this was unfolding and where the pitfalls were or just talking to people in the space. So yeah, that and was, I, it stood I, out. Yeah, I wanted, I'd like, I'd like to say it's because I'm very intentional, but like as a brown man in America with the history of the war on drugs, mm -hmm. like I wasn't going to jump into a company developing yeah. schedule on drugs because, you know, shit goes wrong, who they go after? People yeah. like me first, right? Yeah. And so a lot of it was, you know, a bit to be, if I'm being completely honest, it was fear-based. It was like, hey, if I'm going to do this, I want to yeah. make sure I'm doing something right. I also wanted to do something with intention. And, and fortunately, you know, like I met Sam Maltman among those conversations. Mm -hmm. And he, as early as 2018, was like, Jishan, you should start a company. I'll write you a check. And I was like, I'm a brown man in America. I'm not jumping into a psychedelic company. And he's like, well, when, when you're ready, let me know. And then Sam I, Altman told you to start a psychedelic company in 2018? Yeah. 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 I think we had both looked at the research. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the map studies were just coming through yeah. at that point. Very strong data also on psilocybin. Yeah. And Sam is a lot of things, but I think he's just very good at identifying exceptional opportunities yeah and diving into them yeah and i really appreciate his support like he was like well, i'll write you a check when you're ready took me another two years to be ready yeah. pandemic pushed me over the uh you know yeah. shift for like many for people sure. like hey what am i doing with my time yeah what yeah. should what, what should we be doing and we were also able to do i think some different things like we, we tried to do like some first steps around being more inclusive mm -hmm. around the value that we're creating we're not perfect in those steps mm -hmm. you know it reciprocity is a dialogue it's an yeah, ongoing yeah. one but i am proud of the fact that you know we are trying to have a different form of company a stakeholder company you know that's why we've made different decisions so say a little bit more about that because there are some unique features of journey collab that are unique i think from 90 or 95 percent of the capital into the space has gone into biotech drug development stuff and, and perhaps this is why i was interested in, in speaking with you to, to sort of better understand 
the unique nature of journey collect is you're also unique in that you're working with mescaline mm-hmm. am i right and so that's as far as the classical psychedelics go it's you read less about it mm-hmm. it seems like it's been studied less than psilocybin mm-hmm. or, or mdma for example but has a rich history mm-hmm. and 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 so tell us a little bit more about the the origin story of journey collab and and sort of some of the things that seem to have been there from the beginning and and are important to you and and then are part of the part of the company's ethos and and values. Yeah, I mean, I think you know one of the things there's a, there's a lot to it, but you know in that landscaping and seeing what was available, there was also like a very clear understanding of what happens when we take very powerful psychoactive compounds mm-hmm. and apply traditional capitalist structures. And the most clear example of that is the opioid crisis. Mm-hmm. Psychedelic exceptionalism aside, these are very powerful compounds, and yeah. we we know what happened that. We did that with tobacco. Yeah, <laughs> we, we've yeah. done it with stimulants. We've done it with anxiolytics, like benzodiazepines. Yeah. It's happening with ketamine. To be honest, like I didn't want to end up like one of those companies. You know, we've seen many of them, mm-hmm. like even recently, not just the opioid crisis, but then with stimulants recently as well. What we've seen happen it was entirely predictable. Where rushing to build ketamine clinics or programs yeah. with the best intentions of doing like a high quality service, right. lots of therapy, right. and it all ends up reduced down, down to, to, to just an infusion, an infusion right? Yeah. Or even just like trying to sell as many pills as you possibly can. Right. But everyone starts with these best intentions yeah. and, and, and it just ends up there. And I just didn't want to end up there. And so uh, again, I, I'll highlight Sam here in that he at that point was crafting OpenAI as a cap profit company. Yeah. So a different type of model. We looked at that and it just wasn't going to make sense for, for what we were doing. But he gave us, I, I talked to the architects of OpenAI, open mm-hmm. um, a lot of you know, other people were thinking about like, how do we create more inclusive structures? One, because, you know, I just felt like, you know, again, as a person of color, like if this industry ends up like cannabis, where mm-hmm. only at, at best a few percent is owned by people of color, then we what's the point? Mm-hmm. Right. Like there's an incredible opportunity for the communities that these medicines come from to benefit from it. But that it's not going to happen with the traditional structures of, hey, we'll donate 10 percent or yeah. we'll, you know, that. If I mean to be quite frank, if 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 the world was going to be fixed with the charity of white men, it would have been done a long time ago. Right. But it hasn't happened. Yeah. So we were experimenting around, and we decided on this stakeholder structure where yeah. we put ten percent of the company, the founding equity, like the same founding equity we, uh, that I have as founder, into a trust. Crafted that trust around reciprocity to indigenous communities, as well as thinking forward about like how do we support the practitioners going forward, and that. You know, once we did that, we started having different types of conversations. Mm-hmm. And that's how we learned about mescaline because I had a lot of conversations where people were like, I usually don't tell. <laughs> once, like people, can, I, I'd show up to meetings, like I feel very welcomed in the psychedelic community right now. But like when I came in, and I felt this very much at the beginning. People were like, who is this tech bro who's coming <laughs> into the psychedelic space? Why is this billionaire supporting him? Mm-hmm. Like, who, who, basically, who the fuck is this guy, yes. right? Like, I got, I got a lot of that. And I, people were just like, well, is he going to make an app for psychedelics? I made an app before. And they're like, you know, what, like, what's he, what's he going to do? And the, it took a lot of time. But I'm really appreciative of all the people who spent time with me, yeah. educated me about the space. But part of what happened, too, was that we would, I would have many conversations with, with traditional wisdom holders as well as scientific ones of our experts who would say, I usually don't say this to someone, but like mescaline is really important and yeah. it's not being looked at. Yeah. It's hidden gem. And like I spoke to you know, Charlie Grove, Rick Doblin, Robin Carr Harris, and they're all just like, hey, this is yeah. really like we would love 
to do something here. Mm -hmm. And like, it, I think Michael puts this in, Michael Pollan has this in the book. It's like, it's the the hidden one, the grandfathers and grand, the, other grand, the, you know, the elders are hiding, right? Yeah. The masculine, right? Like, yeah. It's always their favorites. Why is that? And so we're like, okay, there's an, there's an opportunity to do this. We actually looked at drug discovery, yeah. but it's just such a crowded field yeah. already. I'm yeah. just like, I don't know yeah. what we could potentially do here on yeah. that. And it was also like, you know, this capital time where, capital was really abundant and yeah. so and and at that time too also you know it wasn't clear what was going to get over the finish line yeah. and we made a strategic decision to be like right now regulatory barrier is the biggest one yeah. the way to address that is take our own compound through yeah. we're going to be contrarian and work with mescaline in a world where <laughs> everybody and their dogs Trying to engineer the shortest <laughs> yeah, trip the and shortest the... acting psychedelic the least psychoactive the yeah. one that needs the least therapy and i feel like honestly very validated by Google's work yeah. around critical periods which just came out last week yeah. and I mean there's a lot there it's an incredible yeah. amount of work it's a, it a in nature which for us as scientists is like yeah. the most prestigious it's like winning the Grammy you know yeah, <laughs> like yeah. it's like I, 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 I'm trying, trying, trying to way to explain to people outside of the scientific community what that means to have yeah. a paper like and seminal work and my view of that is like well you know if you have shorter acting compounds the like windows shorter so yeah. less opportunity change that the experience does matter whether yeah. it's a mystical experience or not like th that's what it feels like to yeah. open your period yeah. open up the critical period and that the afterwards the therapy and the integration are very very important yeah. and you can strip that out and you know, honestly we had a very hard time with that and we, we just every time we would say well we're working with mescaline like i like pull like gal didn't have actually had not even published the research yet so I just took a screenshot of one of her slides. <laughs> from Horizons 2021? Uh, actually, no, from her Tyrion lecture at UC Berkeley, even earlier, oh, before wow. that. Yeah. And I would put on there, people like, well, that's interesting. Where is it? And I'm like, it, it, you can find it on YouTube. And they're like, why are you like, they're like, no, you need to have a citation. And I'm yeah. like, well, I don't have a citation it's coming. yet. It's coming, right? Uh, but it was really, really hard to, to raise funding on that. I think we're very validated about that now. And I hope that there will be interest from science-driven biotech funders to be like, hey, wait a minute, like there's something here with a longer acting compound. Let's go after it. What is missing though, still today, and is actually even harder now, is how do we deliver these mm -hmm. safely mm -hmm. and effectively mm -hmm. and at scale? Mm -hmm. And in 2023, it's actually even a harder question because we've seen all these ketamine operations yeah. fall apart. It's actually a whole new dimension of this apply very psychoactive substance to traditional capital structure and then you put social media marketing onto it and like i remember a while back i just was looking at one of the clinics and i just felt like i was being hounded on like social media but i'm like the social media really wants me to get me like wow it's like it's like my drug dealer you're trying to get me to do it yeah and so like for us actually the you know we were today actually really focused on that delivery model yeah for a couple of reasons we always knew but by choosing mescaline we knew from the beginning that we could never do this in an outpatient setting mm -hmm. or traditional. And, and, and say a little bit more about why why that is. is it, it, it's because the length of the experience, yeah. primarily. How long that, is a how long is a mescaline it's, experience? One of the yeah. longer. It's not as long as ibogaine. Obviously, like ibogaine can be many like in almost thirty six hours, in my understanding. But it's around twelve to fourteen. Yeah. 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 14 hours so because of that like and there's other other elements to it too like it's you know for mescaline you're probably not going to have the eye shades on the whole time yeah like it's a much more directable experience which yeah is why it's helpful yeah. it's a pro-social experience yeah. there's probably going to be some element of 
group and community involved. Mm -hmm. and, and so can you say a little bit more about the duration of mescaline mm -hmm. and the significance of the recent paper from mm -hmm. from Guldalan and her colleagues? Because I think that's an important piece that may not uh, be yeah, obvious. It, to, it, to it is. I think a game changing like Gould's research and rigor has brought scientific proof and understanding to what many of us in the healing community and scientific community have intuitively believed where the experience matters, the length of the experience matters, the therapy matters. But like that's always just been like an intuition that right. we've seen played out both traditionally as well as in, in the research. And her research basically shows that we all talk about neuroplasticity, right, mm -hmm. as a blanket term. She gets a lot more specific in saying that psychedelics open what's called a critical period. Yeah. And a critical period, the best way to describe that is that we have that as we grow up in life. Like the yeah. your brain is actually designed to learn and change. And it happens through development. Yeah. A child can learn a language a lot faster than an adult can. Being a teenager sucks because you're really sensitive to social learning at that time. Mm -hmm. And her work with MDMA, psilocybin, ibogaine, you know, even ketamine also, she was able to show in mice, I believe, yeah, it's mice, that the duration of that critical period being reopened after the psychedelic experience is directly proportional to the length of the subjective experience. Yeah. So if you have a yeah. shorter acting compound like right. ketamine, yeah. it's actually only open open for like 48 hours yeah. and it's gone. That window of opportunity, that window yeah. to change, that higher rate of learning is like, it's almost ephemeral. Right. While I think MDMA is a number of weeks. And for something like Ibogaine, it could be like actually months, right? Yeah, and so like yeah. a mescaline, which fits in, like she didn't study mescaline. Mm -hmm. We're hoping you know, that, uh, we can we can add that. We'll probably be somewhere in between that. So a yeah. basically what we're saying is like a longer experience means a longer window of opportunity yeah. to change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. You were going to go into sort of like your approach and your thinking around care delivery. Because yeah, so Mescaline, Mescaline introduced us a number of constraints because we, we knew we were going to need a place to do this, a right. setting to do it, that there would be a group and a social component to it. And at the time, I was looking at these companies that were doing drug discovery, drug development, and building clinics. And yeah. I was like, you know, I only and buy, growing mushrooms, yeah, and growing mushrooms, <laughs> and growing mushrooms. And I just like, I was like, you know, I, I, I like, I guess I'm a serial entrepreneur now. Like I've done, I've had my, I had, you know, done it a few times. And I was just like, that looks like incredibly hard. Like, I don't know how you're going to do that. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, we're not doing that. Like, we're not adding building clinics here. It's just, that's not going to work. But we kept on seeing, like, uh, there was always a spot that, like, well, wait a minute. Like, we're working with Mescaline. We're working in alcohol use disorder. Mm -hmm. We're hearing about how bad, like, current offerings in rehab are. Kept on coming back to the original research with Osmond at, mm -hmm. at Weyburn. And I was like, well, you know, like, could we just do this at rehab? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. so you're saying we need a place where the person is is supported for a long period of time, where they could potentially stay overnight, where we're learning that the therapy afterwards makes a lot of sense. So like people are getting intensive psychotherapy and community support. So very early mm -hmm. on, we started spending time with rehab centers being like, well, is this possible? Most people and most of our investors said, there's no way they're going to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, and, and, and then our investors who've been to rehab are like, look, like you can try, but like the vast majority of these people are going to say no. And that's why are they going to say no? With, Just the stigma against using medication in, in recovery. Yeah. Most places still don't do medication assisted therapy for really? opioid withdrawal. Like, like if like we like MAT should be widely available, should be the standard of care. And yeah. it's still not. It's just so many restrictions on it. Places that don't want to use it. And, and, and this goes back a long way. Like in the 90s, if you went to an, a, an AA meeting and said you were on Prozac, 
you would have been likely kicked out. Really? So yeah. It's only been recently that oh, it's wow. been adopted. Many people can't go and talk is about that. Their... Is that the force of AA? I or think what it's is the, the abstinence based like it, like bias? I think in... I think that like A is one part of it, but like we have been stuck for many decades now in a abstinence only model, yeah. a dogmatic model around it. And it, it works for some people, but it doesn't work for the majority. And I think that's a, like a very fair statement to make. And for the people who it works with, it's great, but it can be very restrictive, can be very repressive also. And so, so going back to rehab, we're like, wait a minute, it's like, you know, it's interesting, like, it's ironic. Yeah. <laughs> like, the places that are the least open to using these agents actually have everything that we need that to, need. to <laughs> do it well, because like, my heart goes out to the people who are developing psychedelic retreat centers or psychedelic clinics from the ground up. Like, you know, I get the vision. You're like, look, could, if, what if we could make a place that's out in nature, that where people could be supported for long periods of time, where they could get therapy, where they could form a community. Yeah. And building that from the ground up is just like capital intensive, yeah. operationally very challenging. Yeah. But when I see what everyone's trying to do there, I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like, that's actually... It's already, already there, in, place. in yeah. place, but the problem is the stigma around. So the stigma from the rehab community against yeah. medical assisted sort of approaches, yeah. the stigma of schedule one substances mm -hmm. that yeah. are illegal, that yeah. have been stigmatized and, and, and prohibited through the Controlled Substances Act, uh, the impact of abstinence-based. Mm -hmm. And I think also a healthy fear because we're in, we're in the shadow of the opioid crisis where right, we right. were marketed drugs that yeah. were very addictive. And so like people were like, well, wait a minute, now this is the next wave, yeah, right? Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people in our industry who right or wrong follow a psychedelic exceptionism where like, hey, these things are different. But I don't think that's actually true. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do have concerns around that that are in, in the wake of everything that we've done so far. There's a fear around that. But that's why even though it's ironic, these these places have what we need, but they're the most opposed to using them. Mm -hmm. And do you have a sense of how many rehab centers there are in America? Yeah, the, the estimates vary, like seen anywhere between like 12 to 16,000 rehab centers okay. in the United States. So on the one hand, you're doing drug development with a mescaline, a, a synthetic mescaline. A synthetic right? mescaline, yeah. yeah. But at this early stage, you're already thinking about the delivery model. Is that because... There are decisions to be made at like this level of the of the drug development process about how this fits into the healthcare system or the wraparound support that you'll have to deploy in like phase one, phase two, phase mm -hmm. three. Like, help me. Well, understand. a couple of things happened. So you know, we got to twenty twenty two, got our mescaline program to complete the preclinical phase, the IND enabling studies, went out already with this contrarian view of let's use long-acting compounds, yeah. let's do addiction. Most people were doing mm -hmm. like the bigger, more recognizable like, yeah. PTSD, depression, anxiety. Yeah. And I'll be honest, like we were having a hard time mm -hmm. raising it. This is when things were still okay, but like yeah. there were some inkling that uh, macro conditions mm -hmm. were going to get worse. Yeah. And I remember talking to my board and they're like, okay, well, give it a try, see what you can do, right? Mm -hmm. Like you guys have made some good progress. There's still interest, but I mean, I'll be honest, like we weren't, we're, we weren't getting a lot of traction yeah. on it. And the primary reason we weren't getting traction, I think there were many, but we kept on hearing this question about, well, like I basically got like a number and I'll paraphrase a number of different investors into one sort of conversation. They're like, look, Jishan, I believe that you could 
probably get mescaline approved and mm. it looks like it will fit into the toolkit like mm. for the for the investors who are sophisticated to know enough to know that there's not going to be one psychedelic to rule them all mm -hmm. like everyone's trying yeah. to do these bets about like hey what what's gonna be the one psychedelic that wins when like there's no category of drugs yeah. where there's a, one, there's a one, one yeah, yeah. there's like oh, multiple iterations but once we got past to those it was always just like how are you going to sell this mm. like i don't even know how you're going to sell mdma or psilocybin but you yeah. have this thing that's even yeah. harder to yeah. do how are you gonna sell it? and we're like okay well like this is our this is our barrier like we have to start addressing this question so we spent we're spending more time with the rehab centers to be like could we do this could be a fit hearing a lot of no's and then parallel what happened is that the marketing conditions got a lot worse mm -hmm. and i like to describe it as you know when i started in 2020 gas was cheap and me and my board decided Let's build a sports car. Mm -hmm. Let's go as fast as we possibly can. Literally, had one of my investors say, "It's a space race to data. Spend whatever you can, get as much data, get as far as you got from the FDA." I'm very fortunate in that my board signaled to me early that capital is going to become very, very scarce. Yeah. So they're like, "If you can't, like, if you keep going at this rate, you're just going to die. You're just going to run out of money." Mm -hmm. And the other thing that was really helpful was there was no recriminations about what we did previously. And this is what makes a really good board is that I'm really grateful for Sam and the rest of our board to do this. And they're like, what are you going to do now to survive? Like, we have this sports car burning fuel. You're not going to be able to get to a gas station. And when you say soon. buy a sports car burning fuel, you mean like the, 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 the cost clinical of drug drug, yeah. yeah, the cost of drug development, which is already high. Yeah. But then when you add on a Schedule 1 drug, yeah. it's even more costly yeah. to do it. And like, you can do tips and tricks of like, go to Australia or whatnot, but it's still going to cost you a lot of money. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so basically mid 2022, I pulled the sports car over and I was like, okay, to turn the sports car into a Prius. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the most painful, mm -hmm. difficult experiences of my professional life. Mm -hmm. of saying, okay, like we really believe in what we're doing, but like the market's just not going to support it. Why, why was that a painful experience? What, what did it I mean, when you, when you just, you, you build up this organization yeah. to go in and do it. And like, that's, that's what you're doing. So we have to, you know, eliminate programs. Yeah. No, a lot of people have done this in, in you know, if you're, if you're a biotech founder, it's not that, you know, it happens all the time, right? Yeah. But it was my yeah. first time doing yeah. it and being yeah. like, okay, I have to pause programs, I have to cut programs, I have to cut staff. Yeah. Uh, and we went from, we were going to run out of money by I think the end of we were going to make it to like the beginning of 23 and we basically just cut everything and now we have funding till the beginning of 25 which is great but like we also had to be like okay well what are we going to do with what we've learned like we mm -hmm. we want like the Mescom program is going to have to be on hold until we find a development partner for it but the other thing that happened is all these ketamine closures started happening too and it's like wait a minute like the problem right now today is you know, with MAPS and the great work they've done and all the you know, other other programs, like I don't think it's a question of will these be approved, but it's the question we kept on getting from our own and when we were fundraising, like how is this going to sell? How are mm -hmm. you going to sell this? Mm -hmm. And how are you going to sell it, particularly in a five-year window where you have to yeah. recoup your investment? So another thing, if you have 20 years to like yeah. slowly build yeah. up the sales, but you have to get out, you have to get out safely and you have to be able to recoup that investment. And so we basically were like, we were hoping to take our own mescaline program through here but we actually think this is a problem for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, we're hearing it from our own 
investors from the people we're trying to go to was hearing it from other sponsors too and we're like okay let's focus on this delivery model and this unique approach of working with rehabs to mm -hmm. do it mm -hmm. but it's really hard because yeah. most of them will not return your phone call <laughs> the ones that do are like interested but like very skeptical yeah we went to i've been to like i've been to dozens of rehabs like doing site visits talking to the ceos yeah i've been to ones that where you know everyone like i'll give you two two examples so i talked i talked to chain out east got really far like the cmo like an evidence-based guy really interested in it the business development guy was loving it really He's like wait a minute like this is a new product line that we could add on this is a way we can differentiate ourselves yeah, yeah. Got all the way to the ceo and was doing the presentation and he's like you know what? i just don't feel comfortable giving junkies drugs in my centers yeah and it's just done it's yeah. over it's like and you know like everyone the, the you know enterprise sales is basically what it is what it was yeah you have different champions that are like hey like come back to us in a little yeah, bit but it was yeah. basically dead yeah then we went to other sites where like leadership was really interested and these like more like smaller sites where you know, they had been doing some tms some ketamine yeah. the, the the founders themselves had found and they were really interested but we'd get on the ground and we'd talk to the the staff on the ground and they would just be like well you know i remember one guy really nice guy he gave us a tour and whatnot um it was a really nice center and i was asking him, so what do you think about this and he's like well you know personally i wouldn't do it like i've been sober for 30 years uh i just i wouldn't touch this i yeah. wouldn't recommend it to us yeah. I, I wouldn't recommend it i'm not gonna say that they can't do it here but if they are you know like i like i would like to them to keep it to themselves and I'm like, well, I don't want people doing psychedelic treatments in the closet yeah, either. Right, and so right. I just like eliminated the majority of them. But what's also been happening is that the last few decades, rehab just doesn't work for most people. Yeah, This model doesn't right, work. Right. And what's happening is that there are, and I would say like, I don't want to use the term fringe, but there are groups coming out that are doing evidence-based yeah. care. They're doing individualized therapy and they're growing fast. Like they're actually crafting more and more market. So they're share. innovating within the rehab yeah. sort of center. And field. they're doing well. And we actually we're really proud to be working with All Points North here mm -hmm. in, in Denver. They're a leading institution. They do evidence-based care, individual models, group therapy is part of what they do, but it's not the only thing that they do. Mm -hmm. 12 steps on the menu, but yeah. it's actually not the whole menu. Right. It's actually one part of it. Yeah. And you know, it took a while, you know, we we work with them and we you know got to the point now where we have announced that we're creating a center of excellence of psychedelic research nice. in addiction at at their rehab center at their, nice. at their at their facility which is the i think actually to my knowledge the first time that a psychedelic clinical trial uh, treatment is going to yeah. happen in this type of setting yeah probably since wayburn in the 50s mm -hmm. like this is the first mm -hmm. time this is happening and so we're proving this model by doing a clinical trial saying we can take psychedelics and we can integrate it into this rehab like I, I, they don't like to be called rehabs like they yeah. call like substance use treatment centers sure. or behavioral health yeah. centers but colloquially like we know them as rehab right, so i'll call right. them like, i'll use that term that we can actually integrate psychedelic care into them and i think by doing that we can prove that we can have safe high quality care without having to cut corners. And so are you then planning to run your clinical trials in that in that setting? Is Absolutely. That, yeah. So that's that's novel, right? Because most clinical trials are either at academic institutions or run at like you By know CROs, CROs or right? and yeah. but like I think like and you know Tim from Palo Santo actually at the at the CP uh, the the conference in San Francisco, I forget the name, did a really good analysis of this. And he was like, look like the the psychedelic funds are out of money. <laughs> we can't rely on like, you know, you know, billionaires to fund this all the way through. And we need a lot of money to get, we can start, but to get over the finish line, we're going to have to get 
large biotech funds to start putting money. And there's a lot of reasons that they're not. But one, you know, one thing that we saw when we talked to these big funds, and, and Tim's done a much better analysis of this, is that we need to build a bridge to biotech funding. Yeah. But the lack of a commercial infrastructure is why they're not getting involved. Because it's like, this will work. It'll probably get approved. But how are you going to sell it? And how are you going to make money? And like, you know, Spravato selling like selling better. So that's help, helpful. Right, that's yeah. helpful. But there's still this, you know, there's not, these investors, you know, are not afraid of intensive treatments. Like they mm -hmm. do it in cancer all the time. Yeah. Like a cancer treatment in some ways is yeah. similar to a psychedelic treatment. It's an infusion. There's yeah. a lot of monitoring. Yeah. But they're like, look, I will, I'll do cell therapy or gene therapy. Yeah. Because I know there's a way to get it out there. Yeah. I just don't know how you're going to do this. And to me, this there's is like... There's a way to get it out there in oncology because the, the infrastructure infusion infrastructure, the, the chemo, it, it's there. It's mm -hmm. built. It, right. Yeah, it's, it's there. And this is what I call like the square peg round hole problem of psychedelics, mm -hmm. where the round holes are existing infrastructure in psychiatry and mental health. Yeah. And it's made to throw like pills through <laughs> right? like that's what we have like it's around but psychedelics you know they're not just yeah, the pill they're yeah. like the, the the additional pieces around they're it mandala shapes yeah 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 it's a very complex shape and you're just like well how do i get this thing through and what we've seen happen and you just look empirically is that you know people start cutting corners yeah they're like well can yeah. we do this with blessed therapy can we do this at home and the, and maybe that works in some models but we've seen what happens with it there's a lot of interesting research around can we build the like round peg of psychedelics, one that is not psychoactive, is short, that doesn't need therapy? Jury's still out if that will work. Ghoul's, I think, research is very helpful in saying, I don't know, actually. Yeah, like We right. may be going in the wrong direction right, right. with these shorter acting compounds, less psychoactive, less yeah. therapy, actually. But who knows? Like we, I, I'm a scientist. I would love to see some of that develop. I, I personally am not going to bet on that, but yeah. like, let's, see, let's see if it'll work. So basically, I think that we actually have the opportunity to do this at a very high quality of care. Mm -hmm. And the amazing thing is that the infrastructure exists and insurance is covering these states. They're covering this intensive psychotherapy. So people are like, who's going to pay for it? I'm like, it's already built. And it's already being paid for. It's just in the least friendly place yeah. right now. Yeah. Have you spoken to the team at Sunstone? Mm -hmm. yeah, 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 we had Manish on yesterday. We talked to him, and I. So I have I have a background in clinical research. I was a study coordinator mm -hmm. in right out of college, and I worked at a boutique clinical research, you know, center in San Francisco. And we were I was I was managing phase two and three HIV and Hep C trials, and so, mm -hmm. and that was actually the the experience that I had that gave me the you know I know enough to be dangerous. I can I can mm -hmm. I can write about this space because mm -hmm. I had that. that no, I didn't that know experience. you were a study coordinator. Yeah, mm -hmm. so it just I, I mean I was planning to go to medical school. I I was doing that. I was running trials there, and then I did my I would say psychedelics sort of got in the way of mm -hmm. that plan. You might say some people would say you dodged a bullet there. <laughs> <laughs> this is the, the way the practice of medicine is going these days. But I always thought like, man, ketamine clinic is not the infrastructure for psychedelic medicine, and there's actually a real need for clinical infrastructure for clinical trials mm -hmm. because. My experience was we enrolled like three or four times the amount of patients that UCSF did. Mm -hmm. We were in the same trial, but because we had, we were a small team, mm -hmm. we were, we didn't have the, I mean, we had the same IRB mm -hmm. and it had the same protocol, but we were, you know, focused on HIV trials and we had been doing that and we had built up a 
an expertise in doing that. So we were able to enroll so many more patients and administer and, and carry out the protocol so much better than better is not a great word, but you know, more effectively than than academic counterparts. And I, and so I I wrote about this a few years ago, just thinking like, man, there's a need for like the clinical trial space that is not only administering the carrying out the, the mm -hmm. clinical trial protocols, but is learning mm -hmm. in the course of development yep. how to deliver this medicine, yep. because that is the, the elephant in the room, mm -hmm. right? We can talk about the number of therapists, or we can talk about the clinical infrastructure, but like getting ready for MBMA, mm -hmm. which is, I don't know, 12 to 18 months away mm -hmm. at this point, and then further compound, right? There, you, I mean, this is, it's ironic that you're coming back to this, because this is like the challenge that a lot of investors in the early days were like, I want no trip, mm -hmm. I want shorter duration mm -hmm. because of this. And like, yeah. this is the barrier that the field is gonna have. So I- I, uh, I think Sam says this is like, no one's figured out how this is gonna be delivered, what the business model is going to be. And we actually see the research, that the clinical trial we're gonna do with our partner at uh, All Points North, is going to be on a late stage psychedelic and on alcohol use disorder. And that will be, I think, an important clinical contribution. The real world app like setting is an important contribution. Mm -hmm. But we actually see it as a prototype to like what is the operating model yeah. for us to do this. Yeah. And then be I think that you know we see that to be prove that we can do research there, bring other sponsors in. But as you said, like through the trials we learn in the real world setting, what is the operating model? What is the design of this experience? How do we actually integrate it into existing care? Mm -hmm. And those are all things that we just haven't done yet, yeah. but we're going to learn along yeah, the way. Yeah. And I think it'll be really exciting. And there's, I think a very, I think there's been a lot too much like reinventing the wheel here. Yeah, like yeah. we have models in healthcare for this. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, if you go to a hospital often, like if it's a large enough hospital, the emergency service, like you'll go to a hospital, but your emergency care is given by a medical group that's actually not part of the hospital, right? right? right. If you get a subspecialty surgery or something like that, it's usually a medical group or some other organization that is working in the hospital, but they're actually a separate entity. Mm -hmm. And it's good for the hospital. The hospital's like, well, I actually don't know how to do yeah. neurosurgery. Yeah. And I don't want to learn how to do yeah. that. Like, you guys should do that yeah. very well. Yeah, yeah. And a neurosurgeon's like, well, I don't want to run a hospital. In a hospital right? <laughs> and so we're taking that same model and bringing it to rehab centers to say, like, you guys are really good at the, the ones that are actually compatible, <laughs> the ones yeah. that will, like, pick up the phone and talk yeah. to us and actually work with the ones, like, it's self-selecting are the yeah. ones that yeah. it could actually work for. So, like, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to be a place that does 12 step only. It's just mm -hmm. not going to happen. Mm -hmm. But like they do a good job at that and we can bring in the specialist care. Mm -hmm. And the other model that's, I think, very well established in, in healthcare is that in subspecialty care, we know that there are gold standard brands yeah. around it. Yeah. So everyone knows about the Mayo Clinic yeah. or Memorial Sloan Kettering, yeah. Hospital for Special Surgery, yeah. but yeah. it may be, may be less known. And so yeah. we think that there's an opportunity to create that gold standard in partnership with rehab centers around psychedelics with addiction. That's fascinating. And do you have a timeline for when you'll be rolling out trials or what? Our goal is looking? to have the first uh, trial started by the end of this year. Nice. Yeah. And will that be a phase one? Or... It will be a phase two open label. Phase two so, open label. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. We're just about out of time, but I really appreciate this. This was good to catch up and good Absolutely. to sort of hear about the, the challenges and the hurdles, but also the the path forward. So I'm it's been it's you. been a journey, pun intended. A lot of up and downs, but like. I really, I think, I think right now, like, I think you're right. Like the, the real question is like, how are we going to deliver this yeah. safely? Yeah. Are we going to do it at a, a, a business model that works? Yeah. How we do not repeat the mistakes we've seen quite recently. And, you know, we're not the, we're not like 
the only path to it. But I'm, I'm like, like you know, Venetian Sunstone is doing that. We're doing it here with 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 rehab, and there'll be all these different models that come yeah. out. And I think it's going to be a really exciting. Time. That is going to be really exciting. Yeah. I, I, I'm actually, I think you're right. I think there's like the thing that's exciting for me is like it, it feels like we're 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 sort of the field itself is more acknowledging the infrastructure care delivery and it's the right time to do yeah. it you know like when yeah. we started in 2020 it was not like it was still a question of like how do we get things through yeah. right like it, it was not focused on and it's the right it's the right time it's the right time yeah well it's the right time to wrap up so awesome i appreciate it jishan where can folks find you that's the every podcast <laughs> ends with that question our, so our I have website's journey collab c-o-l-a-b.com and i'm on twitter there's, like, there's not many chance so j-e-e-s-h-a-n cool no well i appreciate it cheers good, man good to chat thanks for listening to the trip report we hope you enjoyed it you can sign up to receive our free newsletter and get the podcast sent directly to your inbox by going to the This podcast is a production from Beckley Waves, a psychedelic venture studio. If you're interested in learning more about building companies in the psychedelic space, head over to beckleywaves.com to get in touch. If you like this episode, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. I'm Zach Hegney. The Trip Report is produced by Cooler Production Company with coordination from Caitlin Jabari. See you next time.